Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you have heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. The best part about it, it can get you really great deals at the last second. So even if you're a procrastinator, like me maybe, and waited until the very last minute to get that holiday gift of tickets to the game this weekend, Game Time won't judge you. They'll be there with great deals, great selections. So if you're still panicking about a gift and you need an idea, this would be a really good way to get great deals on last minute tickets. And speaking of holiday gift shopping, Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app, create an account, then under the billing section, redeem the code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's the athletic. That's all one word, and it's for ten dollars off your very first purchase. That's free money, people. Great time to have free money is the holidays. Credit is only available to the first one thousand people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year, which is December thirty first, twenty nineteen. In case you need a reminder, so make those moves quickly and score last minute tickets. And welcome to a holiday edition of the NFL Power Rankings podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter from The Athletic. I'm Amy Perlapiano, NFL editor at The Athletic. All right. We are through week 16. We are here to the last week of the season. We're super excited. There's so much fun stuff happening this week. Um, and week 16 really brought us um, a little bit of clarity for the NFL playoff picture. The Ravens clinched the number one overall seed. The Eagles took over control of the NFC East. The Packers won the NFC North. And yet there's still so much that we don't know. I was trying to I've been doing so much like math in my head, trying to figure out all these different playoff scenarios, because there's still so much that's going to be determined in week 17. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk to Chiefs beat writer Nate Taylor about the surging Chiefs, about their playoff prospects. And we're going to get into some of these playoff scenarios with the week 17 games, especially the 49ers and the Seahawks, because that game really affects everything that's going on in the NFC. And we're also going to talk about what Marshawn Lynch's return potentially means for Seattle. As always, please send us your comments, especially about the gifts, because it does make our day to read them. You can also tweet us at The Athletic NFL and make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And you can use the link theathletic.com slash NFL power rankings to get 40% off. And then you'll get all of our bonus episodes as well, which uh, we do once a week. And those are a ton of fun, too. So let's get right into this. Let's start with our bottom five after a couple of really entertaining games in week 16 between some of the NFL's worst teams. Top five, bottom five. So, at number 28, we have the Miami Dolphins, who are not even the worst team in Florida somehow. Number 29, after them, the Jacksonville Jaguars, which have just become a disaster this season. Number 30, the Washington Redskins. Number 31, the Detroit Lions. And number 32, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals. So, both the Giants, Redskins, and Dolphins-Bengals games went to overtime, and the losers actually won in draft position. Um, So the Bengals officially clinched the number one pick in the draft. Congrats to them. They are now looking uh, at Joe Burrow and getting excited for once about uh, their future. So, yeah, that was really fun. I don't know how you were watching games, Amy. I know you're out on the West Coast right now, but it was um, it was really fun as both of those games, you know, basically between our bottom four teams from last week, they were all playing each other and they were all kind of going to overtime. And the Bengals Dolphins game was insane. I mean, the, the Bengals had to get a touchdown 
um, recover an onside kick, get a touchdown and a two point conversion all within the final minutes of the game to send it to overtime. And you could just see, I just was dying at the way that CBS was like ISOing in on the head coaches faces, both Brian Flores and Zach Taylor and kind of this like, what are we doing kind of scenario where, you know, personally they want to win and it go, it would go against every instinct that they have to not win those games. But, you know, for the Bengals, it was like, they really needed to lose that game or tie that game. Um, and I still am trying to figure out exactly all the math and the scenarios there that wouldn't it be better long, wouldn't it have been better long-term for the Dolphins if they would have like missed that field goal at the end. So the game would have ended in a tie and then they would have been like four, 11 and one instead of uh, five and 11 and, or whatever exactly, whatever the math works out there so that potentially they would have had a half game difference in the draft order somehow. I don't think it changed for them this week, but um, it could change after week 17. And then in the freaking the other game, I mean, our one of our writers, I think it was, uh, uh, Grant Paulson in D.C. wrote about this, but I could not believe like what the heck was Bill Callahan doing? Yeah, at the end of I regulation. That was insane. It made no sense. Yeah. So in like, case you weren't watching that game, they were uh, the Redskins went and scored a touchdown at the very basically at the very end of the game. They were trailing by one and Callahan sent out his field goal kicker to kick the extra point to tie the game between. <laughs> Why do we need more of this game? Why do we need to send it to overtime? Just go for two. Yeah, go for I mean, right. Yeah, go for two, man. If you win, then that's bad for you or bad for your organization. If you lose, then that's great. But instead it went to overtime and we, and it went almost all of overtime. I mean, it was kind of an ugly overtime period and ultimately Washington ended up losing. They're now in kind of control now for the number two draft spot where they're going to get, uh, they should be able to draft chase young. And if you're the giants, like, aren't you pissed? Aren't you, uh, you know, and especially (laughs) if you're a giants fan, I mean, it's, that's, that's really disheartening. So real quick, before we move on to top five, let's just run through what the draft order looks right. Looks at right now, because while our bottom five is obviously very, very important, they draft based on uh, their top, their bottom five, which is right now Cincinnati at one, Redskins two, Lions are at three, Giants are at four. So that's why that game was so costly for the Giants, because if they had lost that game, they would be at number two and instead they're at number four. Um, and then the Dolphins are at five and then the Jaguars, who are in our bottom five, um, are at number six. And we'll see how, how all of that changes after um, week 17. But that's what it looks at looks like right now. So let's move into our top five where we had just a little bit of movement uh, from last week. So number five, we have the New England Patriots who are back into the top five after a one week absence. Number four, the San Francisco 49ers. Number three, the Kansas City Chiefs. Number two, the New Orleans Saints. And number one, the Baltimore Ravens. So like I mentioned, there's not a ton of movement here. You know, the Seahawks fell out of the top five after that really, really bad loss to the Cardinals, where they also suffered some really bad injuries uh, to their running backs, their running back core. Um, And the Patriots are back up after beating the Bills and clinching um, the AFC East. Um, And I was, you know, I guess when I looked at the top five, I was really curious to see where our panel would put the Chiefs. Amy, what did what did you think about where the Chiefs should go? So I kept them where I had them. I think I had them at four again. They ended up at three, right? I'm personally fine with that. I think that that is a good spot for them right now. Um, They're obviously playing extremely well, and I think that they're surging, and they could obviously be in one of those. You could make the argument that they're one of those top two teams. I know, Lindsay, I, I think one of our writers had said that he had them at number one, right? 
And that was true. Yeah. So I, I went back and through and looked. I personally had them a number two on my ballot. I just think that the body of work that they put together over the last three weeks, dating back to when they, um, I think they are, they've actually won five in a row, but dating back to when they went into Foxborough and beat the Patriots and then holding the Broncos and the Bears to three points each in the last two weeks. I just think that body of work and those wins and the way that they're playing right now is, is a really complete team. I put them ahead of the Saints right now. I put them hmm, number two on my ballot. Um, but yes, one of our voters uh, met messaged us very late Monday night um, after refiling his ballot saying that he put the Chiefs at number one. And I kind of thought he was kidding. And I went back in and looked. And sure enough, we there was one vote for the Chiefs at number one this week. Um, so that's the first time in weeks that the Ravens have not been a unanimous, um, a unanimous number one. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that move. I think it's, you know, I think you can make the argument that they do deserve that. I think when it comes to these rankings, we've talked so much about like process and stuff. So for me, it's just like, I didn't feel like it would make sense to move the other teams that I had ahead of them behind them based on the results of this week. So I just kept them where they were, which was four or three. One of I think uh, I think I had them at four this week. So I had the Niners, Saints and Ravens ahead of them just because I didn't want to. Although I guess I you could make the argument that I could have moved the Niners behind them as well. But, you know, I think it's just more of feeling like I'm moving them, uh, moving a team kind of unfairly after they had a good week. So I kept them where they were, but I do think that they are surging potentially, you know, kind of more than any other team right now. They're really on the up. And I think that that momentum is going to take them very far in the postseason. We're excited to have Nate Taylor from the Athletic Kansas City joining us now to talk about the Chiefs. Hi, Nate. Thanks for joining us. Lindsay, Amy, so happy to hear you guys' (laughs) voice. So glad to join the podcast. (laughs) We're excited that we can spend the holidays together here. Yes. So let's get into the Chiefs right now. They have not allowed a touchdown in the past two weeks, and they held the Broncos and the Bears to just a field goal in each of the last two games. So let's start there. Nate, where did this defense come from, and is it for real? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think people around the country are like, wait, what? The Chiefs have a defense, huh? Um, but really, you know, I've written more about the defense this year than even I anticipated. So include me as, as part of the discussion as to, like, the things that have surprised you most this year. Um, Steve Spagnuolo is where it really all starts. Obviously, he came in late January, shortly right after the AFC Championship game. The Chiefs fired Bob Sutton, replaced him with Steve Spagnuolo. And basically, Steve Spagnuolo's primary job was to not only improve the defense, but be the coordinator that could beat the Patriots, right? And so one of the more interesting pieces of all this season is that you know, the Patriots were the team that the Chiefs lost to in the AFC Championship game. They obviously won the Super Bowl. Steve Spagnuolo was brought in, and he is most known for his defensive strategy, which beat the Patriots when they were undefeated in uh, the 2007 Super Bowl when he was the defensive coordinator of the Giants. So that's all the context. Within that, Brett Veach and Andy Reid have worked together to give Spagnuolo the type of players he likes. So Tyron Matthew is the Chiefs' you know, top candidate for defensive player of the year. He has three interceptions. He's has a couple sacks. He's uh, been really all over the field at the safety position, playing both in the box and as the deep safety. They drafted Juan Thornhill, who is also another safety who plays mostly uh, the free safety position. They drafted him in the second round, and he was a pretty competent player in college, but he's actually been what I would consider a late bloomer in terms of just being someone who is reliable, he's young, he's athletic, he's super rangy. And so the Chiefs don't give up big plays anymore, which is shocking even as I'm uttering it. And 
within that, that gives guys like Frank Clark, who the team acquired in a trade over the offseason, Chris Jones, who everybody kind of knows about in the interior, that gives them the ability to attack opposing quarterbacks much like they did last year. It's just now it's not as easy to throw on the football the way it was previously under Bob Sutton, now that C. Spagnuolo has the safeties and sort of the scheme that can be more adaptable than Chiefs fans are usually accustomed to. Right. And so, Nate, obviously, you know, the defense improving is a huge kind of uh, benefit for the team going forward into the playoffs, but we can't really talk about the Chiefs' playoff chances without talking about the offense. And so what have you seen from Patrick Mahomes in the past few weeks? He's healthy, guys. <laughs> He's healthy. <laughs> Finally, it's it's kind of scary. Uh, as I as you know, as I wrote in the Athletic on Monday or you know late Sunday night Monday after the game against the Bears, um, Patrick Mahomes has given his two best performances back to back these last two weeks. Um, he was amazing in the snow. Like I, I can't stress that enough. He threw for three hundred and forty yards against a pretty competent Broncos defense in the snow. And there's all this sound of him being mic'd up during that game where he's, you know, trying to do the best impression of Lamar Jackson and is being a real loose guy who is just really happy that he can physically do the things that we all know he can. And then, obviously, we saw on Sunday, he took it really personal uh, that the Bears didn't select him (laughs) as the first quarterback in the 2017 (laughs) draft. And so the word that I thought was most uh, apt was that he was ruthless and you get these moments where Patrick Mahomes is a brilliant wizard who can be very improvisational and creative. And then there's also times where he just sits back in the pocket and he's going to really just dissect the defense and make life, you know, miserable for the opposing team. And that's what happened with the bears. So the word that was said in the chiefs locker room over and over and over again, Sunday night was, Hey, peak, you, you guys appear to be peaking at the right time. Yeah. All of a sudden, the defense is not giving up touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes appears healthy. Uh, hey, you may not be the you may not get a first round bye, but hey, at least you're peaking at the right time. And so, a lot of that is due to Patrick Mahomes somehow surviving that horrific dislocative uh, dislocated kneecap injury in Denver in October, and now sort of returning to his MVP form these last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question that Lamar Jackson is going to be the MVP and he 100% deserves it. And, yes. you know, Patrick Mahomes just was, has not been in that conversation this whole year, basically because he's been hurt. And I just think we're at the point now with Mahomes that, like, the bar is so high for him to probably become MVP again because his his first year as a starter was so ridiculous that, you know, you look at his stats <laughs> and you're like, oh, he's only thrown 25 touchdowns this year. It's like... <laughs> yeah, he just dislocated his kneecap in the middle of the year. And so I'm just curious to see kind of how this develops for him. And like, you know, can he win the MVP in a season? Like, let's say he throws 40 touchdowns and five picks next year. Is that an MVP season right. for him? Or is he now being held to this kind of ridiculous standard that he set in 20 uh, in 2018? But kind of as you mentioned, though, with like with with the peaking, I still watch the Chiefs. And I just think maybe it's just because I still have so much of 2018 offense in my head. And I see, you know, I kind of know what they can be. It still right. feels like there's extra layers that they can get to. So what what else do you think is coming from this offense as they head into the postseason? What more do you think they can do and what what might that look like? Yeah, I, I think it's it's three things that I that I've even thought about, Lindsay. And the first one is they have Tyreek Hill and now McCole Hardman. And I don't think another NFL team, particularly one in the playoffs, has the two fastest guys on the field playing the same position, right? 
So everybody knows of Tyreek Hill's speed, the fact that he's the fastest NFL player in the league, even still to this day. And McCall Harmon is a rookie who is going to be a pro bowler from a return standpoint, but he scored five touchdowns where each sort of score is more uh, remarkable just because he has the speed to get around the edge or he can beat you over the top. Um, the Chiefs' first touchdown against the Patriots a couple weeks ago was McCole Harmon just literally running a, a diagonal goal route, and Patrick Mahomes, as we know, has the arm strength to get it to him. So the, the first layer, I think, is how much will the Chiefs test the rest of the AFC in the playoffs vertically now that one Patrick Mahomes is healthy and he has two deep weapons to throw the ball to to go along with Sammy Watkins, who's going to operate in the intermediate zone. And we know Travis Kelsey can be a one-on-one nightmare for any linebacker or safety. So I think the offense can get a little bit more explosive. Secondly, um, and this has been an issue all year too, is that the Chiefs offensive line has been in flux and has been oft injured. And so Eric Fisher missed most of the season with a groin injury. Uh, Even Mitchell Swartz's remarkable consecutive snap streak was broken in Nashville. Uh, Austin Ryder has had an up-and-down year as the team's starting center. He replaced Mitch Morse, who's now with the Buffalo Bills. And Laurent DuVernay-Tardif has gone through his injuries. Stefan Wisniewski played last Sunday uh, against Chicago. And although the team dominated from start to finish, much of that was because the offensive line is actually healthy. The five guys I just mentioned all started in that game. They all finished that game. They all played particularly well. I think Patrick Mahomes was only sacked once. And so if the offensive line is consistent, all of a sudden – I'm not sure what a defense can do outside of maybe getting a turnover or two to sort of slow down the Chiefs. And thirdly, and I know this has been a constraint and an issue and like, you know, a much of a headache for fantasy owners and Chiefs fans themselves, but maybe the running back position will start to figure itself out. Damian Williams, who was the projected starter when the season began, he returned last week against the Bears, played particularly well. Spencer Ware... It's all of a sudden now with the team again. It, it was strange. He had this weird, you know, odyssey, and now he's returned. Um, he's a blocking running back who's going to protect Patrick Mahomes on third down. He can also catch the ball, which he showed against the Bears. And maybe you get a sprinkle of Darwin Thompson, this rookie who's had some interesting moments and is purely capable as a receiver uh, that can maybe get the Chiefs to have a much more consistent or more balanced running and passing attack. So there are ways for the Chiefs to actually get better on offense. I know that sounds somewhat scary for the rest of the league, but these are the top three reasons as to why the team may start to not only peak at the right time, but be at its best in January. All right, Nate, before we wrap up here, let's look toward the postseason quickly. So it seems unlikely, it's not impossible, but unlikely that the Chiefs will get the number two seed over the Patriots. But So let's say they get the three, they're hosting a wild card game against the Titans. That's probably going to freak Chiefs fans out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so talk us through the Chiefs' playoff chances and then what a potential, if they do get past that wild card game, what a potential divisional round game in New England might look like. Yeah, so first with the Titans. For Chiefs fans, uh, they are like a boogeyman for this for this entire city. Uh, in 2017, uh, Marcus Mariota threw a touchdown pass to himself to beat the Chiefs in a wild card game. I was, I was there. It's one of the weirdest things it's, I've ever seen. The whole press box was like, what the heck just happened? Oh yeah, my God. yeah. So, they, so the Titans came back from an 18-point deficit in that game and somehow beat the Chiefs, even though they were the lesser team that year. Yeah. Uh, what happened in November was Patrick Mahomes makes his triumphant return from his dislocated kneecap, immediately becomes the MVP again, and all of a sudden it's like a reverse of 2018 where it's like, oh my God, they're in a shootout with Ryan Tannehill and the Titans? <laughs> and the Chiefs had like their most, I guess, embarrassing loss of the year because they were controlling the game 
even though it was back and forth for much of that day, but they collapsed in the last two minutes. Uh, blocked field goals, um, you know, missed field goal opportunities where all of a sudden you have a botched snap. Ryan Tannehill let the Titans right down the field when four plays or less with no timeouts. And then uh, Patrick Mahomes can't get the team in position to get a easier field goal, so the field goal gets blocked. And all of a sudden, the reasons why the Titans can win on Sunday and get to the playoffs is in large part because Ryan Tannehill, Mike Vrabel, Derrick Henry sort of figured out a way to get a victory that didn't really appear to be there with two minutes left in the game. That being said, the Chiefs, I think, would encourage and would enjoy a rematch with the Titans just to prove themselves as the better team. And if that does happen and they are able to advance to New England, again, So much of this season has come down to can the Chiefs, when it really matters, beat the Patriots. Now, Tom Brady is older. He has less weapons than he did a year ago. There is no Rob Gronkowski to come and save them. And so their victory, I think, a couple weeks ago in New England was more psychological than anything else. Even with that victory, it was still a long shot for them to get the two seed to get a bye. But mentally, I think they will be encouraged and motivated to sort of finish off the, the Patriots, the team that has obviously tormented much of the AFC, including Kansas City. And in this, you know, galactic sort of Star Wars-like battle between, you know, the Chiefs being the Jedis and the Patriots being, you know, the evil empire, nobody saw that the Ravens were coming. So it's <laughs> so it's one of those fun things where it's like, hey, this is like kind of their Super Bowl. And it may occur in the divisional round if if we get there. And then also if they do win that game, uh, you just have to go beat the best quarterback we've seen all year in, uh, in Lamar Jackson, who's going to be healthy, who's going to be uh, having a, a really stacked roster next to him. And again, between both the Chiefs and the Patriots, nobody saw the Ravens particularly coming to this degree so quickly. All right. Well, Nate, you now have me so jacked up for the AFC playoffs. Uh, I'm hoping to see you in Kansas City before too long and then who knows where else uh, in the playoffs. But this is just a reminder that all of you guys can read Nate's coverage of the Chiefs at The Athletic Kansas City and make sure you follow him on Twitter at by Nate Taylor. Nate, thank you so much for joining us and uh, hope you're able to have a happy holidays with your family. A uh, little break from Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes <laughs> at some point this week. Yeah, just just a couple hours would be, would be nice. But thank you, ladies, for having me on. I appreciate it and love listening to the podcast each week to give really a, a really good round robin understanding of the league as a whole. It really helps me understand who the Chiefs are playing ahead and where the league's sort of going. Thanks, Nate. Awesome. Well, Happy thank holidays. you, Nate. Thanks for listening. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So Lindsay is heading to Seattle this weekend for the Week 17 monster game between San Francisco and Seattle. It's obviously the game of the week. It's going to decide um, the division winner. There's so much at stake for both of them. So if the Niners win, they will be the number one seed. If they lose, they will be the five seed. And if the Seahawks win, uh, they'll win the NFC West and they can either be the number one, two or three seed, depending on what the Packers and Saints do in week 17. So obviously that is a huge flip in how this could go. The idea that the Niners could, you know, go from one to five is is pretty crazy. So this there's so much at stake here. And to make it even more fun, the Seahawks on Monday signed 33-year-old free agent running back Marshawn Lynch to bolster a depleted running back group that has lost three players to season-ending injuries. So Beast Mode's coming back. Lindsay, how do you feel about that? 
Well, it, it's really fun. I mean, I think fun is the right word right now, just because, you know, of Marshawn Lynch's kind of extensive history in Seattle, what he's, you know, he's, he's just has so many memorable plays in Seattle. I mean, the beast quake is one of the best plays in NFL history, I think. And, um, you know, so it, it, he's just such a beloved figure there. I mean, he's just such an interesting personality and, um, but it's just crazy because it's been years really since he played for the Seahawks and there's, Almost nobody left on that team outside of Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, uh, KJ Wright. I think that might be it. There might be one or two offensive linemen who are left over from when when Marshawn Lynch was last there, and obviously some of the coaches, um, the coaching staff with you know with Pete Carroll, um, but not you know Daryl Bevel is gone, which for Marshawn Lynch is probably good that Daryl Bevel is <laughs> yeah. gone. Um, but so it's it's not like he's walking back into the same Seahawks team that he left when he you know. Hung, hung up his cleats. Remember, he, he did that tweet where he posted a just a picture of cleats hanging on a wire. Um, and then he ended up, you know, coming out of that really brief retirement to play for the, his hometown Raiders. Um, but, you know, I think the thing is, it's it's a great story. And it's, it, it's very interesting to think about if he might have, you know, some vintage beast mode runs left in him. But we have to remember that he has not taken a snap since early to mid-October of 2018. You know, he his season ended with the Raiders last year because of a groin injury. And, you know, he's he hasn't been playing. I mean, he's been working out. You know, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network did a story that posted today about his trainer and kind of the work that Marshawn Lynch has been doing to kind of get ready for a potential reunion with Seattle. Basically, I think he like showed up at the, the, Se- the Seahawks training facility a couple weeks ago just to visit. Um, and actually, the, the Seahawks had to report that he was there, even though it wasn't an official visit. He just kind of showed up like he was in Seattle. Um, and I think that got him curious. It got the the Seahawks thinking like, hey, if, if we need him, maybe he'd want to come back. Um, but the reality is, is he hasn't taken a snap. He hasn't worn pads. He hasn't been, in, you know, done anything on a football field in a really long time. And he is 33. So who knows how much he has left? My guess is that he's got, you know, 10 to 15 really good carries in him. You know, I don't know if he, what his speed looks like at this point, but if they just need somebody who's going to, you know, be able to take the, take some handoffs from Russell Wilson, who's going to be really, really tough and run some guys over uh, in that Niner, run, run some Niners defensive backs over, then, you know, Marshall Lynch is as good as anybody. I mean, I think there's some other guys. Turban was the other guy that they were bringing in because they need, it wasn't like they just needed one back. They need several backs coming off the street here in week 17. So it de- it definitely adds like an interesting layer to that game because, you know, without that, I mean, I think we would be talking about this being a really lopsided type of matchup right now, just because the Seahawks are in such bad shape injury wise. I mean, Mike Sando, uh, our, our national writer who lives in Seattle, he and I were talking Sunday night as we were figuring out kind of our plans. And he was he was like, yikes. I mean, the Seahawks team is in you know, is in really big trouble. And, you know, I don't know if Marshawn Lynch is going to come in there and be the savior. Um, but he's, he's certainly going to help. And he's a guy that Russell Wilson trusts and is familiar with. Um, I'm just, I just hope it doesn't come down to like a goal line, one play from the two yard line (laughs) to, to win the game. Because I mean, well, from a storytelling perspective, it would be ridiculous and amazing, but for the Seahawks sake, I hope it doesn't come down to that. Yeah. I mean, this move to me, they're kind of by making it, they're admitting that they're desperate, right? They're kind of admitting that, you know, these injuries have really taken a toll and, and kind of put a dent in, in their entire kind of offensive plan and identity. And so they're kind of reaching for whatever they can 
kind of add that will bolster their team at this point. And I think that Marshawn Lynch will add some momentum. He's certainly a a huge personality. People will be excited that he's there. And I think that, do I think he's going to really be a difference maker? I don't think so. But again, you know, if there's anything that can be done to kind of take all of the pressure off of Russell Wilson, that would be good because right now he's kind of having to do everything because they're so hurt that there's not a lot of help for him around. So you know, I think it's, and I think um, Michael Sean uh, Dugar, our Seahawks writer, wrote this as well in his in his piece. He called it a desperate move, but a move that made sense. And I, I would agree with that. I don't think there's any harm in doing it. And I think Mike Sando in his piece as well, there's a quote from an exec that kind of said, you know, why not? Right. It's like, why not? Just, just see if it, see what happens, see if it works out. Um uh, yeah, so I think, and you know, uh, in that piece that Michael Sean Dugar wrote for the Seahawks uh, site for the at the Athletic Seattle, uh, probably a bigger deal, honestly, than than Lynch is that uh, Pete Carroll said that he's expecting Jadavian Clowney to return against the 49ers as long as he makes it through this week of practice. So that is uh, that's even better news, I think, in terms of their defensive side and, and how important Clowney was to them, especially during um, their first meeting. In November. So, you know, I think that this the Lynch thing, it's fun. It's exciting. It'll add some momentum. People will be really amped to see him back. Uh, Will it make a huge difference? I don't think so. But if it makes even the slightest difference, I think then it's worth it. Yeah, and I think that the other injury that's really important that we have to talk about is Dwayne Brown, their left tackle, is going to be out. We don't know exactly how long. Um, He's having kind of like a minor meniscus procedure on his knee. So they think it's going to be a couple weeks. So if they, you know, can win... And if they get the bye, that would be great for them. If they, you know, win a wild card game, maybe he could be back in a couple weeks. But uh, Russell Wilson will be without his left tackle, um, which is it's a pretty big deal. So, but I will say the one if there's one quarterback who is used to being in this type of situation and who I would not bet against in a kind of a clutch kind of situation like this, it's Russell Wilson. So, you know, I think on paper everything really shapes up for a Niners win here. But I think everything is on the table in Seattle. Um, it's, a, it's a really hard place for the Niners to win. They have not won a game at CenturyLink Field since 2011. Um, it's, so it's been it's several coaching staffs, several quarterbacks. I mean, it's been it's been really hard for them to go in there and play well. Even though the Seahawks this year are certainly beatable at home. I mean, the Cardinals went in there and won last week. The Ravens have gone in there and won. The Seahawks have went in there, you know, went in there and won. The Bengals went in there week one and took them down to like basically the last play of the game. So um, I'm I'm really excited. I can't wait to go to this game. Um, there's no better atmosphere in the NFL than kind of a, a Sunday night game between the Seahawks and the Niners. I was at some of those those games earlier in the decade, those, you know, the, the the Legion of Boom years against Colin Kaepernick, and it is really, really fun. So can't wait. So much is going to be uh, kind of on the line there. We just don't know. We're going to go into that night game on Sunday night, still not knowing exactly what the NFC playoff picture looks like, and that's going to be really, really fun for everybody watching it. Power up, power down. All right, so let's uh, finish up here, wrap up with our power up, power down. Lindsay, you want to take first? All right, so I'm going to power up to the Oakland Raiders, who, one, they they got to kind of get the bad taste of their Oakland finale out of their mouth um, by going down to Los Angeles and having a basically a home game against the Chargers where they won last week. So not only did they win and they got to have kind of one more happy game in California before they head off to Las Vegas, they actually kept their playoff hopes alive. And 
it's unreal that we're actually talking about that, that the Raiders are still alive after they, you know, they lost at home to the Jacksonville Jaguars in week 15 and looked very much looked like they were dead. But indeed, they are still alive. They are one of um, three teams still left in the wild card hunt in the AFC, along with the Titans, which have the clearest path. All the Titans need to do to get into the playoffs is to win on Sunday at Houston. Not necessarily the easiest task. The Texans say they're playing all their starters. Um, and obviously the Texans beat the Titans two weeks ago, but all they have to do is win and they're in. They can also get in with um, a tie, a Steelers loss, or a Pittsburgh loss and an Indianapolis loss. Um, The Steelers with Duck Hodges um, are still alive. They need a little bit more help. They need to win in a Tennessee loss um, or a Tennessee loss and an Indianapolis win and an Oakland loss or tie. But the wildest scenario that is still out there right now is that the Oakland Raiders, who are currently at seven and eight, can get into the playoffs. But this is really complicated. So stay with me here. It's going to be a lot of math going on here. So the Raiders are playing at the Broncos Sunday afternoon. So what they need to have happen is the Raiders need to win. They need to beat the Broncos. They also need the Steelers to lose to the Ravens. They need the Titans to lose to the Texans. They need the Colts to beat the Jaguars. And then if if all of that happens, Oakland clinches strength of victory tiebreaker over Pittsburgh. But what's wild about this is that they can only get in the playoffs if there is a four-way tie. Um, they they would need um, to get the strength of victory tiebreaker over Pittsburgh. One of these teams, Chicago, Detroit, the Chargers, or New England, has to win. So there's a lot of stuff that has to go on. But good for you, Oakland, for you know keeping your playoff hopes alive. They had everything break right for them last week. They beat the Chargers when they needed to. And now they're playing a Week 17 game that matters. It's going to be really, really difficult, but you keep those those playoff dreams alive, Raiders. Keep the hope alive, Oakland, for the last uh, the last game as the Oakland Raiders. Um, all right, my power up. I mean, I could power down, you know, a certain team that resides in the NFC East, but I'm not going to do that because we're not going to talk about the NFC East. It's the holiday season. I'm just going to power up. And we might have talked about this as a power up in the past, but as the year ends and we're approaching the playoffs, I think it's worth mentioning again that I want to power up, especially as we look at the current playoff picture, just the young quarterbacks that are dominating the league right now and how they're going to be extremely present throughout the postseason, particularly in the AFC, though, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo in the with the Niners as well. Um, and Carson Wentz if the Eagles get in on the younger side. But particularly this is in the AFC where we're going to have Lamar Jackson, who's been a joy to watch all year. Truly a gift that keeps on giving. We just get to it, it's just really exciting to watch him every single week. Patrick Mahomes, as we talked about extensively, the the, the Chiefs are surging. That's going to be really, really great to watch them in the playoffs, potentially match up against the Ravens at some point will be really, really awesome if we kind of, I think that's what everyone's hoping for. Um, you know, then Deshaun Watson, even Josh Allen in Buffalo, you know, not not on the same level as those guys in terms of his, his quarterback skills on their own, but, you know, as leading a surprising Bills teams this year. Well, defense is really leading them, but Josh Allen, part of a surprising and impressive Bills team this year. Um, and I think it's really exciting. I think it's cool to see these kind of these new young guys uh, making their mark uh, all throughout the league this season. They've been the most exciting guys to watch with, you know, Jackson, Mahomes, Watson. Um, so to see them all kind of clinch their playoff spots and, and get to potentially face off against each other uh, in January is, is really exciting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. 
So power so up to the young quarterbacks. So all that being said, watch us get Brady versus Breeze, two forty-year-old, forty-plus-year-old yeah. dudes in the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, I mean it would be interesting. I'm just saying it would be fun. That would be fun <laughs> too. You know, not no disrespect to the elder statesmen, but you know, I'm excited for the amount of of young people that could potentially shake things up in the uh, in the playoffs this year. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up our um, our power rankings episode this week as we head into week 17. Um, we hope you all enjoy your holidays with your family as you can you can debate our rankings with your family if you don't want to talk about politics and everything else that's going on in the country right now. Um, and we will be back next week for our final regular season edition of the year as we wrap up after week 17. And then we'll, we'll be looking forward to the playoffs. But thank you guys so much for listening. We love your comments. Make sure you tweet at us. Um, um, comment about the gifts. Um, the gifts are not going anywhere. They are our favorite part too. So um, make sure your browsers are updated. And uh, <laughs> maybe that's what you can bring. Santa can bring you for Christmas. But thank you guys so much. Happy holidays. And we'll talk to you next week. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, everybody.